Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us all here today. We thank you for the gospel that makes approaching you possible. We acknowledge that you hear our prayers as we come through Christ. Thank you for all that has taken place already this morning. We have nurtured relationships, enjoyed fellowship together. We've exchanged smiles and laughter and hugs and encouragement. We have helped dry some tears and bear one another's burdens. We've remembered how you found us, how you called us, and how you saved us. And we're also reminded how many still do not know you. We pray this morning for Luke and Nathan and Terrence and Craig and Andy and Karina as they are serving you away from us today. We pray that you would uh, use them in a powerful way, that you would continue to give them safety as they travel, and that you would bless the missionaries on the field there through them. Lord, and advance your gospel through their investment this week. And we're reminded, Lord, of thousands of missionaries worldwide who have relocated, have left family and friends and comfort areas to go into hard places, difficult places, challenging places where the gospel is either not known or where it is uh, openly persecuted. We pray that you would work in them. We pray for the D family in Europe and the S family in Central Asia. We pray, Lord, for the missionary teams that they serve alongside. We ask that you would strengthen their hands and encourage their hearts in the work. We thank you for the privilege we have of being a sending church, sending, supporting, and going ourselves. Lord, we pray that you will work here today among us, that you would deepen our love for you and for people. Give us a desperate desire to make you known to this world. Give us a passion to share the good news of Christ with lost souls. I pray that, Father, you might use this church to reach the nations with Christ, that you will use this church to reach our community. We don't have the wisdom, the power, even the desire to do this on our own. Only as you free us from unhelpful distractions, only as you crucify our worldly affections, only as you fill us with your Holy Spirit, may we be useful and effectual as your gospel people in this dark world. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the incredible work you're doing here among us. I pray that you will make us a distinct people in this world. I pray that you will deepen our love beyond our comprehension for each other and, Lord, especially for you. I pray that you will unify our hearts in a supernatural manner, that you will make all pettiness and selfishness to disappear from our midst, that you will make us to look like Jesus, resplendent with his glory, May our world see Jesus clearly through Milton Community Church is our prayer and our hope 
and our confidence in you. For we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen and amen. Well, you know, the church is often, the church in this modern era is often too cute with the things that God has entrusted to us when we think about our purpose and mission. At Milton Community Church, we believe our mission is not complicated, that it's not difficult in the sense that it's beyond anything that we can fathom in our minds or that we can do with our feet and hands. Love God. Love one another, make disciples. This is who we are. This is who we aspire to be. It is our privilege, and it's our responsibility and duty. In Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6, we have kind of a mantra that should apply to all of us in Christ this morning. It reads this way. It says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves or bringing his fruit, his harvest, with him. We are in the season for sowing and gathering, pressing toward the glorious morning in God's presence, when all evil All despair, all heartache, all darkness will be vanquished and we will be in His presence forever and ever, rejoicing in all that He has done. This morning as we launch into our discussion, I want to take you back further in Matthew. Mark reached back and got a couple of extra verses. I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 9. You don't have to turn there. You can mark it or you can go there. Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through 38 and listen carefully to what takes place there it reads this way and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction when he saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray earnestly to the Lord that he will send out laborers is the imperative. This month we are rehearsing, we are reviewing, we are renewing. Our thoughts surrounding our mission, our purpose, our existence as a church. Love God through His Word. Love one another by His grace. Make disciples for His glory. Last week, Luke introduced the mission aspect of this. He introduced making disciples to us. We began the first Sunday of this month talking about the love of God. We talked the second week about loving one another, about loving people. And last week, he introduced us to making disciples, particularly, specifically, making disciples internationally, going where the gospel has not gone, going to those who don't have churches on every corner, who don't have congregations, who have the responsibility to reach them right where they reside. We're grateful that God has given us the privilege of joining him in this great work in this way.
And Luke also encouraged us not to elevate that over the other aspects of what God has challenged us to be as a church. And I want to double down on that. We have two responsibilities, to go to the nations and also to go to the community, to go locally, to make disciples here where we are. And one is not to be elevated. One is not more glamorous or more important than the other. They are both equally important and urgent for us as God's people. I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20 again, where Luke began last week about that phrase. He said, Go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. I want to give you a different take on that. Not necessarily to go therefore and make disciples, but that text is actually saying to us, as you go, as you do life, as you go to the mission field, as you go to the nations, as you go to the market, as you go to school, as you go to the office, as you go to Walmart, as you go wherever you go, as you're doing life, make disciples. This is the challenge, this is the command that we find in Matthew 28. It's often been reserved only for those who go to the international mission field, those who go to other nations and cultures. But that's selling it short. We are, as we go to the nations, as we go to these places that we go day in and day out, make disciples. Now, this begs the question, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? Who is a disciple? Why should we make disciples? And how do we make them? I told you a couple of weeks ago, talking about love, that love has two sides. It's like a coin with two different sides. And I would use that same, same analogy today, talking about making disciples or discipleship. Discipleship is like a coin, and it has two sides. And we're going to explore both of those sides this morning. There is the conversion side, the new birth side, the regeneration side, or the evangelism side sharing Christ, telling others of the good news of the gospel. And then there is the teaching side, the instruction side, where we help people follow Christ, where we help them understand all that Christ has instructed us to do, that we might all be conformed to the image of Christ. And this is the way we should think about discipleship. Not simply as a class somewhere that you attend and sit down and listen to someone tell you how to be more like Christ or how to apply the Scripture, but it is our life calling, our life calling to make disciples. You can't disciple a goat. I'm speaking spiritually here, right? We think about sheep being those who are a part of the flock of God and goats, those who have not been converted, not been regenerated, but still living in the old Adamic nature. We try, churches try very often just to reform people by taking that which is lost and discipling them. Well, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. The nature needs to change. The, the person is changed into a new creature by Christ. Therefore, they become disciplable. <laughs> Just made up a new word, right? They become able to be discipled because the nature has been changed. 
They now should aspire to be like Christ and follow Christ. So this morning, we're going to consider these two aspects of discipleship. As we go through life, we are to make disciples, and we do this, first of all, by sharing Christ. Sharing Christ. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you right now are thinking, well, pastor, that's not my gift. That's just not my gift. Or, I'm not knowledgeable enough in the Bible, you know, in the doctrines and theology. I, I just can't talk about these things. Or maybe you say, I don't know or meet a lot of people who I think are lost. I spend a lot of time with Christian people. Or I don't, don't we have spiritual elites to do this? Don't we have spiritual heavyweights or extroverts who do this for us? Or what if I mess up and I don't present the gospel correctly? Well, let me ask you something. If you don't present it correctly... What harm have you really done? They were lost before. They may still be lost afterwards. I think sometimes we overanalyze these things. We overthink our responsibility. You don't have any trouble talking to somebody and telling them about your kids or your grandchildren or the lottery that you won or the raise you got at work or the good review you got from your boss. Good news in our lives, it's natural for us to talk about these things. Why is it so difficult for us to talk about Christ? It's been said through the ages, describing evangelism is simply this. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And it really is just that easy if you think about it. If you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a social butterfly... If you're a teacher, an engineer, a business owner, a nurse, an IT technician, a retail salesperson, etc., the list goes on and on. It doesn't matter what you do. There are people intersecting your life daily. There are over 8 billion people in the world. Over 8 billion. I'm willing to, I'm willing to step out there and say I believe some of them are going to cross your path this week. It's hard to get away from them, isn't it? I heard this week about a story. I won't call his name. Don't want to risk embarrassing him. But uh, a young man, dad, husband, got a new job. And first week on the job, his cohorts took him to lunch, his co-workers. And they evidently traveled in a couple of cars. And the people that were with him in the car, no more had the doors closed. And they started down the road. They said, where do you go to church? They immediately approached the spiritual conversation with him. Good for them. Great for them. And I hope it's an encouragement and a challenge to him. And then when they found out that he had a church home and that he was a believer, then they said, you know, our boss is not a believer. So I love it. Spiritual conspiracies. They are working together to begin to pray and think about how the boss can be one to Christ. This is the way, this is what should dominate our thinking. Sharing Christ can be intimidating. It can be a little unnerving. That's not by accident. This is the way the enemy works. The enemy is constantly whispering. He's talking to you. Listen, you are always entertaining conversations in your mind and in your heart. You have conversations with yourself. 
And there are always other entities that are whispering into your ear. And the enemy is going to use that for his benefit. He's going to tell you all the things that could go wrong, all the ridicule that you could encounter. You could be like that uh, hockey player for the Philadelphia Flyers this week that, you know, you just do a simple thing that, that's in, in concert with your beliefs, and before you know it, you're a public spectacle and people are ridiculing you out there in social media. This is what the enemy's telling you. Listen, me or you, we just aren't that famous. Not much for us to really worry about. And the last time I checked, there's a lot of violence in our world today, but I've never had anyone pull a gun and threaten me because I tried to share Christ with them, or a knife, or anything else. So how should we begin? How should we do this? If it's that simple, Pastor, and it's something that we are called to do, then there should be some ways that we engage this, right? Absolutely. And I don't think it's that hard. I think if you'll give yourself genuinely and authentically to wanting to be obedient to God, that God will lead you and guide you through this very gently and effectively. Here are some things that you can do to begin the process. One, pray. How many of you can pray? Go ahead, raise your hands. Don't be embarrassed. We're among friends. Everyone in here can pray, right? You can pray. How do you pray? Well, Jesus said, pray for laborers. The harvest is plentiful. Eight billion people in the world. Now, generous estimates might say that a third of those people are followers of Christ. I think that's being too generous. It's probably a, great, a much smaller number than that. So there's plenty of people out there that need to hear about Christ, to hear the gospel, and to be encouraged to follow Him. So we pray. We pray that the Lord will send out laborers, that He will raise up laborers. It's not just Luke and Jackie's job going to another part of the world to do this. It's our job. As you go, God has God has planned the path of your life day in and day out and will intersect it with people who need to hear this good news. Pray for laborers, including self. Pray for a burden for these people. Pray that God will put this on our hearts and minds and that we'll think about it more than just on Sunday when we gather together. Pray for an authentic gratitude for our own salvation. You know, to really appreciate, to think about what it would be like if you were in their shoes and not know Christ. Pray for courage and for boldness. Listen, do you think God wants to withhold things like this from us? He's waiting for you to say, you're in. I'm in, Lord. Make me cold, uh, bold and courageous. Make me say things that I never thought I would say. Help me to engage in conversations I never dreamed I would do on my own. Pray for God to prepare people's hearts. Pray for specific people. For guidance, for spiritual empowerment to do this. So begin by prayer. Every one of us can do that. Every one of us should be doing that. Pray for the laborers. Pray that God will show you specific people that He wants to use you in their lives.
Secondly, connect. Jesus said, or, or this passage in Matthew 9 in verse 36, it says, When he saw, when he saw, what do you see each day? You see the computer screen, you see your phone screen, you see your family, you see your neighbors, you see different things going on in the world. You may see violence, you may see corruption, you may see darkness and sorrow and pain and suffering, and you may see lots of things. But Jesus, when he saw, he saw these people like people who had, like sheep who had no shepherd. He he had compassion for them. His heart broke for them. Oh, to see people as Jesus sees them. Luke chapter 10, we've talked about this before. It's one, of, it's one of the most powerful stories, I think, in all of Scripture. Jesus shared this parable. He tells a story in Luke 10 about this, um, this uh, Levite and this priest who had been in Jerusalem, evidently discharging religious duties, and they were on their way back to Jericho, down this winding hazardous trail path back to Jericho and they both fell among robbers or this this first guy fell among robbers and he was beaten and robbed and left the scripture says half dead the priest and the Levite came along and as they came you would think being religious people that they would see this man and that it would trigger a certain response they did see him But in both instances, they chose to avoid the situation. They chose not to be uh, risky, not to take a risk here, but to go around it and pretend that they didn't see it. They didn't want to be involved because they thought about the things that could happen to them. And then Jesus says there was another man who came along. He was a Samaritan. Now, it's hard for us to appreciate the prejudice and the hatred that existed, the animosity, the acrimony that existed between Jews and Samaritans. They, they didn't like each other. We don't have any instance in our own culture where this prejudice is worse than, than it was there. And this Samaritan came down, and he's the guy you would expect to close his eyes to the situation. But when he saw the man half dead, he interrupted his own journey, and he moved over, risked his life, risked his well-being, risked his goods to go and minister to this man. It says he attended to his needs, bandaged him up as best he could, and he gathered him up, and he took him to a place where he could uh, put him, uh, let him rest in comfort. He stayed as long as he could, and then when he could stay no longer, he gave more funds and guaranteed to provide more for this man as he was nursed back to health. Now I ask you, which one of those men would you rather emulate? We should be asking God to enable us to recognize opportunities and needs and doorways for the gospel. To give us eyes to see these opportunities. They're all around us every day. Our problem is we most often only see our agenda, our itinerary, our to-do list, our things that we need to get done that really in the scope of eternity may have very little 
to do with the kingdom of God. They may be more about what's going on presently in this world, right? But honestly asking ourselves, does this really advance the kingdom or are there other things that God has put in front of me? We're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. We see opportunities as interruptions, not as opportunities. And we need to be praying that God will give us eyes that see these as divine appointments that He's created, that He's provided for us, and not as interruptions to our schedules. So we pray, we look for ways to connect. We're aware of situations and we engage them. And then third, we share. We actually share the gospel. Now it's okay to ask them where they go to church. That's a great entry point, right? It's okay to ask them what about their spiritual beliefs. But getting to the question... Getting to the bottom line, which is, I want to tell you about Christ and what He has done in my life. Because this is really all you're doing. This is all God's asked you to do. You don't have to be a, a, a trained theologian. You don't have to be a seminary graduate. Just tell them what Christ has done in your life. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. The Scripture says this is right after the apostles were scattered uh, from Jerusalem and God was using them mightily to spread the gospel. And Philip, God sent Philip, the scripture says, to a desert place, a desert path, out in the middle of nowhere. Now if you're, if you're a guy that's spent time with Jesus and you're eager to tell people about Jesus and God says, I want to send you to the backside of the desert you got to be thinking, what's up with this? Why would he do this? And as he, as he was there traveling down this desert place, he came upon an Ethiopian official working in the queen's court who had been to Jerusalem, it says, for religious purposes. And he was on his way back home, and he's riding along in this chariot, and he's reading Isaiah chapter 53. He's reading a Messiah text. He's reading a text about God condescending to take on flesh and die for our sin. And Philip sees, observes that he's reading this. He, he runs up to the chariot and he says, Hey, I think I see you're reading Scripture, right? Yeah, well, do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I unless someone explains it to me? <laughs> Talking about an open door, right? Well, you know, I just happen to be one who can maybe help you see what God wants you to see here. And so he gets up in the chariot, and it says that he began with that scripture and shared the good news of Jesus with this Ethiopian, who ended up then stopping the chariot and being baptized in a little hole of water somewhere along the way. It's not that difficult. It may be a little scary from time to time because the enemy wants you to be scared, but disciple-making begins by telling others the good news. Telling them, why are you here today? Did you just come because this is a place where you've got some friends? Is this the only place you can find friends? Are you here today because it's the traditional thing to do? Or are you here because Christ encountered you and called you to himself and has saved you from your sin? 
I would say most all of us would acknowledge that that's why we're here today. Making disciples begins with telling them about Jesus. But making disciples is also about growing in Christ. This is the other side of the coin. Two kinds of growing. There's personal growing and then there's helping others grow. Personal growing and helping others grow. This is what we do. This is what we do as people of God. The word discipleship, interestingly enough, is not found in Scripture. Now, disciples in there, and certainly there are implications for discipleship, but this word, this particular word that we translate in English as discipleship, is not found in the Scripture. And furthermore, it's pretty ambiguous when it comes to the English term. It can mean things we have, instruction that we have to grow personally. Me grow personally in Christ. It's my discipleship or your discipleship. It can mean an activity that helps people follow Christ. An activity that helps people follow Christ. Or it can be the entire process of conversion, baptism, and instruction. And that's the exact meaning that the Scripture uses in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It's the whole gamut. It's everything. This is discipleship, making converts, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that Christ has commanded us, that we may be conformed to His image. In Colossians chapter 1 that Mark read earlier, I want to read this again. I want you to listen carefully to what he's saying because here we find an effective doctrine of discipleship. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Him uh, which is in Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The Cost of Discipleship, a book written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he argues against cheap grace in that book. He says basically benefiting, cheap grace is benefiting from a restored relationship with God, but without the desire to be holy or to be like Christ. We want the benefits, we want heaven, we want to be Relieved, relieved from our fear of death and condemnation. But we're not really interested in pursuing Christ and being like Christ. Cheap grace. He goes on to say this about cheap grace. He says, It is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. He calls grace without discipleship cheap grace. Grace without discipleship, cheap grace. Now, he's not advocating for legalism. In the same 
context, he says, Jesus asks nothing of us without giving us the strength to perform it. In other words, what he has required, he is committed to providing for us, to giving us, to placing within us. In Christ, we have power and strength to fulfill his purposes. So Bonhoeffer, like Christ, is calling us to a costly grace, not a cheap grace. It's free, but it's not cheap. Costly grace is the hidden treasure in the field. You know, the one for the sake of which a man gladly will go and sell all that he has to purchase. It's the pearl of great price that the merchant sells everything he has to acquire. It's Christ's reign that a man will cut off, gouge out an eye, cut off a limb that's causing him to sin in order to have Christ. It's the call of Christ that leads us to leave our nets and to follow Him. This grace is costly, Because it does call us to follow. It calls us to follow Him. Remember Jesus said, Don't don't decide to come after me until you count the cost. Count the cost. Examine where I'm going and what I'm going to ask you to do. Then decide. Either be all in or all out. But there's no room for vacillating back and forth across the fence. All in or all out. He said, the disciple who puts his hand to the plow and looks back as he's plowing is not fit to follow. Those are hard words, aren't they? I grew up watching my grandfather plow the garden. He had a little tiller. And my grandfather was a slightly built man. He probably weighed 135 pounds, dripping wet. And I'd watch him wrestle that tiller. He'd get to the end of laying off a row, and he'd look back over that row, and if he didn't like it, he'd do it again. He wanted that row straight. And he told me the key to plowing a straight row was to look ahead at some object in the distance. Don't be looking back to see how you're doing, because every time you do, you do this. And I found out he's exactly right. Set your course ahead, and then go. It'll be straight. It'll be straight. Costly grace is costly because it asks us to follow. But it's also grace because we follow Christ, who has made the way for us. We are in Him, right? It is costly because it calls us to die to self. But it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns our sin. But it's grace because it justifies us before God. It's costly because it costs God the life of His Son. But it's grace because God did not think His Son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered Him up for us. We live in an eye-centric world, don't we? We have iPhones, iPads, I, I, I. It's everywhere, isn't it? And there are plenty more that don't use the word I, but they lend themselves to thinking only about ourselves. Christianity is death to the I movement. It's death to the I culture. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is the daily working out of our salvation, our discipleship. It is our responsibility. It is our duty in Christ. It's our duty to encourage and exhort others to do the same. Mark Dever has said, Being a disciple of Christ does not begin with something we do, but something Christ did. So, how should we be His disciples? How do we personally grow in Christ? It's not complicated again. God simply wants to conform us to the image of His Son. So we read and we meditate upon His Word. This is, this is His revelation. This is where He tells us who Christ is, what Christ is about. He's revealing, us to, revealing Himself to us. So as we digest this, as we saturate ourselves in this, it's going to change who we are. It's going to make us look like Him. You are what you eat. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus said in John 8.31, if you abide in my Word, you are truly, you are truly what? My disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. How can we be His disciples? We spend time reading His Word, saturating ourselves with His Word. We spend time in conversation with Him. We have this gift, this incredible gift of prayer. By the blood of Christ, we have been granted access into the presence of God. You remember that the priest of the Old Testament would have to go and go through all of these uh, slaying of animals and sprinkling of blood upon himself and confessing of sin and then ease through this huge four-inch thick curtain into the holy of holies which is into the presence of the divine into God's presence well when Jesus died on the cross the scripture says that veil was rent in two from top to bottom God opening the way and saying now you have access to me through Christ through his blood that's been shed for you your sin has been atoned for no need to be apprehensive or fearful. We come into His presence. We tell Him our hurts, our joys, our fears, our needs. And we listen. We listen as He speaks into our life from His Word. We listen to what He says to us. And we bask in these things. We revel in it. We apply them. We obey them. So we, be his, we are His disciple as we saturate ourselves in His Word, as we spend time conversing with Him in prayer, as we... How else can we be His disciples? Well, He tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Kudos to you. I commend you for being here this morning. I woke up this morning bright and early. It wasn't bright. It was pretty dark. But I heard the rain coming down in buckets. Coming down in buckets. I said, wish they had done that yesterday morning. Because you could just turn over and go back to sleep, right? The temptation is there. The temptation is always there. There are always other things vying for our attention. Always vying and pulling at our affections to pull us away from Christ's body. Hebrews 10, he tells us, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 
For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, let us consider, let us consider how to stir up one another, what? To love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we gather, we do life together. We help one another follow Christ. This is why we gather. Yes, we come to worship Him together, to lift our voices together, but we come to help and assist one another to follow Christ. We give ourselves to helping others. We desire for them to help us. This is not to be carried out in some sort of suffocating, abusive, bossy, gotcha kind of way. But we walk together in love and humility. We help one another and are helped by one another. The body, when this happens, the body, the the body of Christ, the local church, starts to become more radiant with His glory. As His image begins to impress itself upon His people, individually and corporately. And the world starts to take notice and recognize something different about those people. Something different about that place. God says He uses this to get their attention. To draw their attention after Himself. The body becomes more unified as each believer is conformed to Christ. How can we be His disciples? We serve Christ through the church, in the church, serving one another. It's our spiritual rehab center. It's our spiritual gymnasium. It's where we come to become more more fit, stronger in Christ, more faithful stewards of His grace. Disciples never stop pursuing growth in Christ. We never arrive until we are glorified in His presence. There's always something that needs to be worked out in our salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Don Carson said, to die to self means to consider it better to die than to lust. To die to self better than lust. To consider it better to die than to tell this falsehood. Or to consider it better to die than to name your own sin. Growing in Christ is personal growth and maturity. Being like Christ, becoming like Christ. But growing in Christ is also about helping others follow Christ and grow in Him. I said Colossians chapter 1 here gives us a doctrine of discipleship. Let me quickly give you four things that he shows us in this text that are keys for us in our discipling. It's, yes, it's, a, it's a, uh, a discipleship mantra for ministers, Paul says. It guides him in his ministry, but it's for every believer. Notice what he says. First of all, he says, we should be willing to sacrifice or to suffer for the church. It's not normal human thinking, is it? We don't necessarily like that. I don't want to suffer, but it's so prevalent It's so prevalent in the New Testament. We, as His people, are called to be people who will suffer in this world. Why? 
God uses our suffering for His own glory and for the edification of His people. Scripture's clear. We may not understand the hows and the whys and all the details, but He edifies the body through our suffering, through our sacrifices. That's what He says right here, isn't it? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, he's not implying that there's something lacking in Christ. That Christ has failed to do something. He's saying that there's something lacking in our journey together as the people of Christ. And that God will use our afflictions and our sufferings in order to complete the body in Christ. And as we give ourselves to this, he uses us to edify one another. Secondly, be sure to make him known by what? By making his word known. It's not complicated. We share the word of God with those we encounter. As we share the word of God, he makes himself known to others. Well, what about this book? Look, listen. I love books. If you've been in my office, you know I have lots of books. I love reading those books. I am strengthened through most of those books I read. But there's no substitute for the Word of God. That's where we begin and where we end. And if the book isn't helping us understand the Word better or pointing us to the Word, then we might want to put it on the back burner. But we begin with the Word of God. Make sure to make known Him known by making the Word known. We proclaim Him through His Word. We admonish and we teach. It has, it's negative and positive. There's warnings, there's admonition, and then there's teaching. There's proactive aspects of it. It's both and. It's not either or. I love these people that say, well, you know, we're, gonna, we're not going to talk about this book of the Bible because, you know, that's just old judgment. Listen, judgment's a precursor to grace. If you don't have judgment, you don't understand grace. If you don't want judgment, you won't have grace. You've got to have them both. That's why they're in there. They're in there together. Right? Okay, just want to make sure you're still with me. Thirdly, make your ambition to pre present everyone mature in Christ. We're all on this, on this journey becoming like Christ, working out our salvation. Our goal, our objective is to make everyone complete in Christ. Present my job, my calling, my job. Listen carefully. My job, my calling is to present you to the Lord one day complete in Him. I can't do it. He has to do it. And He does it through your cooperation and your participation. But that's my assignment and responsibility, is to give leadership and guidance and direction to this body of Christ that all of you might get there and be mature in Christ. That's why we labor. That's why we pray. That's why we work. That's why we rebuke that which is false. That's why we stand up to that which would, would condemn or lead you astray. That's why it's so important. You say, well, what does it matter? Just a little bit here, a little bit there. No, you got to see, this is the way I look at it. A little bit here, a little bit there. It's like putting a rattlesnake in bed with my grandson. 
It's just a matter of time, right? If I let the false teacher have access to you, it's just a matter of time before you're going to follow, going to follow after him. Make your ambition to present everyone mature in Christ. Know we struggle, agonize, what? With all His energy and power working in us. He says He will do it. He will do it. I know you're thinking, why well, laid all this stuff on me? I've got to go change my whole schedule this week. And he says He will do it. He's already done it for you. He wants you to walk in it with Him. Our culture aspires to be <laughs> to excel as influencers, don't they? You know, if you've got enough followers out there, I guess you can make some bucks by being an influencer. One day I'm going to get somebody to explain that to me. I don't, I don't desire to be an influencer on social media. I'm kind of resentful of those social media things I have now. But I do. I am interested in being a godly influencer for Christ. I want my life to influence others for Christ. That's what He's called me to be as a disciple. This is discipleship. That's our assignment in Christ. How do we do it? How do we disciple? It begins here in the local church and our gatherings as we come together, get to know one another, invest in each other's life. Know what's going on in each other's life. I know that's not popular. You mean i got to share some of those things in that closet that I've got locked? Well, ideally, yes. I know it may take you a few days to get there. But it's time to take the lock off the closet. Get to know one another. Pay attention to one another. It's impossible to experience true community as absentees or from a distance. You just can't do it. If you, know, I, you live in a neighborhood like I do. I've been there a long time. Do you know how, how close, how many close relationships I have in my community, in my subdivision? Hardly any. That's an indictment on me. But it's also the way our world functions, isn't it? We all hide behind our closed doors and our electronic, electric garage doors. We rush in and have the garage door closed behind us before we get out of the car. Or if we see somebody come out to check their mail, then we stop at the door and wait till they finish and go back in. Or they're out walking their dog, you know, wait till they clear. And or if you see somebody out in the yard and you're walking down the street, you may say, oh, I've finished my walk, I'm going back. Or your heart starts to pick up some speed because you might have to have a conversation. That doesn't build community, does it? Community is when we throw caution to the wind and actually talk to each other about things that are going on in our lives. I know, I've got to wrap this up quickly. <clears throat> We're helping each other follow Christ. Get to know one another. Share your needs, your weaknesses. Share your needs, your weaknesses. We have to learn to trust one another with those needs and weaknesses. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. I want to be very specific here. Let me, uh, let me, let me say this to you. I, I would that you would identify. Identify someone, one person. Start with one person in this fellowship 
who you perceive is strong where you may be weak. Identify someone you perceive that is stronger where you are weak. Someone who's been at it a little bit longer than you have. A little bit further down the path with Christ. Ask them to meet with you and mentor you toward becoming stronger in that area or complementing that area in your life. Identify someone who struggles in an area where you maybe have a strength. You see how this works? Leaning into each other's lives. Someone who's new to the faith or new to a serious growing aspect of the faith. Be willing to invest in them and spend time with them and pray with them about those things. Help them to follow Christ well. Discipleship boils down to a few key things. It's about teaching and learning. Correcting is an important part of that process. It's also about modeling and demonstrating Christ-likeness. If everyone here, if everyone here at this church were like you, what kind of church would we be? That's just food for thought later in your quiet time. If everyone here were like you, what kind of church would we be? Discipleship means we build mutual love and unity together, and it's not possible without true humility. God values humility. God despises pride. He will supply what we need as we're available and invested. Milton Community Church formed last summer, and the key thought, leadership talking about why do this, the question was asked and debated, will we be better together than we can be apart? And I believe the answer then was an overwhelming, we believe so. And I believe today that that's already being proven to be true. It's exciting. It's gratifying to see how God is making us better together than we were apart. I hope that you have that same encouragement. I do. I've been here 20 years. The last six, seven months have been among the best. I won't say it's all the best, but it's been among the best. There's a sweet spirit in this church. There's, there's, there is community. And we want to pray that that continues, that that grows. And that requires each of us being invested in helping that take place. We press forward. We have a mission from God to love Him with all of our heart, mind, and soul, to love one another as Christ loves us, and to make disciples for His glory. I want to seize that mission with joy, with zeal, and with faith. Imagine how God will use this church if we throw caution aside and dare to love Him with all that we are and to love one another as Christ loved us and to commit to making disciples for His glory. That's not complicated. It's not complex. It's not rocket science. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. Will we dare? Will you pray and commit to building a culture of discipleship here in this church? How so? Well, ask God to put one person on your heart. One person 
One person that you may know or you haven't met yet that God will put on your heart and say, this is a person who has not become a part of my family, but I want you to start building a relationship with them, praying for them, investing in them. Would you do that? Would you be willing to pray and ask God for that opportunity? Maybe you can ask for more than one if you're ambitious. But be specific. Ask God for that one name. Somebody in your community, someone you work with, someone you go to school with, someone you know through some means or way here in this community. Now, we've all got people scattered all over the world, that's, and that's great. You pray for them, but I'm talking about someone here. Begin praying for them by name. Pray that God will prepare them to hear the gospel. Pray that God will prepare them to respond and follow Christ. Pray that God would be gracious and allow you to be used in helping to introduce them to Christ and disciple them. Ask God to stir your desires, passions, and affections to grow in Christ. Ask God to direct you to a spiritual mentor to help you grow. Ask God to help you help someone else grow. Commit to use and strengthen the opportunities for discipleship here in this church. You know, you can strengthen our church just by faithfully participating. Showing up at a discipleship class, that teacher's spent all week preparing. You never know how you encourage the heart of that person standing before you. How you'll encourage other people who show up. Your presence and encouragement is a boon to people who are leading. You will make both better simply by being a participant. And those opportunities will always strengthen you as well. Will you help cultivate a church-wide passion for discipleship here in this place? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. You're a wonderful, loving God. We thank you that we have the opportunity that you came seeking us and have drawn us to yourself and that the way you have put this kingdom building together is that you will use us, Lord, for your purposes, for your glory. I pray that you will strengthen our church and use our church in a great way in the coming days. That you will strengthen our weaknesses. Lord, make us aware of those weaknesses and give us the willingness, the desire to lean into you that you might uh, use us powerfully in this community and even to the farthest corners of this world for your glory. Lord, that we might be aware even of our strengths, not to gloat or to glory in them, but Lord, to use them even more diligently for your grace and your glory to go forward. I thank you for this congregation, for their love for you and their love for one another that's becoming so apparent. I pray that you will fill them and strengthen them and encourage them to be the body that you want us to be right here in this place called Milton. Not just for today or tomorrow or this coming week, but Lord, for generations to come, even as you tarry in your return for us. And we thank you for the ways that you work in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.